Our second lesson is from the Gospel of John. Put it in your liturgy for you. It's from that farewell discourse that we talked about earlier. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, in typical Thomas fashion, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, we'll be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own. But my Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do works, the works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these, because I'm going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of the Lord, God's people said, Thanks be to God. Amen. So our reading from this part of the Gospel of John this morning comes two Sundays before Ascension Sunday. I'm sure everyone has that on their Google Calendar, right? Or your iCalendar or whatever. Ascension Sunday is coming up a couple Sundays from now. On Ascension Sunday... Well, actually, the Feast of the Ascension is like later in the week leading up to that Sunday, and always, always match Sundays, so we figured it'd be difficult to worship here on Thursday, so we're having Ascension Sunday uh, a few days after the actual day of Ascension, in case you're worried. Um, on Ascension Sunday, uh, among other things, we celebrate Jesus' departure from this earth to sit at the right hand of the Father from whence he will come again to join this world to the world to come and we will talk about how this world is a different place and for the better because Jesus has ascended. Now these are the very two things that are right at the heart of what's on Jesus' mind in the passage from John this morning. Departure 
right? I go away, let not your hearts be troubled, I go away. And even more expansive and more intense presence that is coming, not only in spite of Jesus' departure, but as a result of the circumstances that necessitate his physical absence. I go away. Guess what? More intense things will happen. Greater things will happen. And the disciples, Thomas is the only one bold enough to do it, but the disciples are like, what? <laughs> they don't understand, right? And it's not until the other side of the resurrection, the other side of the ascension, and mainly the other side of Pentecost, that Jesus' followers can begin to have their imaginations, if you will, catch up to what Jesus is talking about here. Um, next week, we're still going to be in the Farewell Discourse. Not Ascension Sunday yet. We'll still be in the Farewell Discourse. And we will hear a great deal about what all this will look like as we continue in John 14. Specifically, we're going to hear about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the role of the Holy Spirit uniquely in the life of the church and in the life of the world. Today, we will look at the overarching reality that makes all of that possible. Namely, that God has made God's home in this world and will enable this world to be at home in and with God. That God desires to become present with, at home with God's people, that is a through-line theme in the story of God's dealing with human beings and the world that he has made for us. It reaches its fullness when that great voice shouts out in the book of Revelation, when John the Revelator tells us, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with human beings, and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, be their God. But that is where the through line goes. We're in ahead of ourselves, but I think it's still helpful to think about where it's going. It's probably helpful now to take a step back and note where the through line begins. God not only speaks with the first beings, but he walks with the first human beings in the garden. He talks with the first human beings in the garden, strolls along with them in the garden, be near to those made in God's image. God draws near to Abraham, the first patriarch, right? God draws near to Abraham in a mysterious covenant-making ceremony. And I mean, it is mysterious. Really, really hard to wrap your minds around what happens there. And I'm not going to go into details, but I just kind of want to note that this through line has been going through for a long time, okay? God desiring to draw near, be intimately present with God's people. 
as a result of that covenant-making ceremony with Abraham, God says, I made a covenant, and I'm going to promise to be always God to you. I'm going to promise to be always God to all of your descendants. And through all of your descendants, I'm going to be near and intimate, the near and intimate God to the whole world. The staggering scope and expansiveness of God's promise to Abraham. And he makes that promise in the context of drawing near to Abraham. Okay? Then we know God's present. Some of you grew up in the church know this Sunday school class. You brought poorly illustrated, I'm sure, in the drawings, unless it was the curriculum that, that our artists. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not nice. I, I grew up with not the best religious art, okay? Um, anyway, um, we all know that during the Exodus, um, God is present mysteriously with God's people in a pillar of fire at night, a pillar of smoke during the day. You know, the through line is just right there all the time, God wanting to draw near to God's people. That, of course, is in the context of God's deliverance of God's people from Egypt, from slavery. And then God dwells with them in that mobile tabernacle that moves around all over the place with God's people until generations later, a temple is built by King Solomon. Now, fast forward to the beginning of John's Gospel. And lo and behold, it is revealed to us that God's dwelling in this world reaches a climactic moment as God the Creator, the invisible God who made everything, takes on human flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, we're told, at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, the original language makes it even more earthy than that. The word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. Or you could say tabernacled among us. Yahweh, whose unmitigated glory and radiance was life-threatening. Remember the raiders of the lost ark? You know, the ark of the covenant is open and all the Nazis die. But, you know, th this is the image, right, that we have for this, this, this radiance of God's glory is life-threatening in the Old Testament, right? Um, we're told in that famous moment in Exodus that God has to make space for Moses when he draws near to Moses. He has to make space for Moses. He wants Moses to be close to him. Rather, he wants to be close to Moses but Moses can't see his face. So God makes space for him in the cleft of a rock. That same God now, beginning of the Gospel of John, that same God, John tells us, makes space for himself in this world, in the womb of a teenage girl. The through line, God always wanting to draw closer to God's people. 
God always wanting to be more intimately in touch with you and with me. God's desire for that intimacy is stronger than our desire for that intimacy. That's why we come to church. That's why we come to this table. To be drawn into that through line, that forcefulness of God, the gentle forcefulness, but stubborn, relentless relentless forcefulness of God to be near to us. So this is how John's gospel begins. God pitching his tent among us, drawing our attention to God's desire to be at home among us and for us to be at home with and in him. So it should not be surprising when Jesus, in the farewell discourse, the passage that we just read this morning, it should not be surprising to us that Jesus turns to metaphorical language about God's intensifying presence and what we can count on in the future with regard to that presence. And for the metaphor, he turns to the language of home. Of home. I've been thinking a lot about home lately, uh, what it means. Uh, Some of you know that... um, our family uh, moved out of our apartment home for a period of time and moved into the basement apartment of our very dear friends just down the street. Uh, it was kind of like being on vacation for a while in a way. We were back in the neighborhood that we first lived in in Chicago. We're close to where we first lived. and It's back in Intelligentsia where I used to office out of when the church was just an idea before it had started. Uh, so it was really cool, very close to the lake, really wonderful to be that close to our friends and kind of share our busy lives with each other about four times in the course of six weeks, I think, because everybody's busy. That was a wonderful time. Loved it. I was ready to go home. really kind of surprised me. It took me off guard. You know, I mean, I was ready to go home in a way that was deeply meaningful to me. You know, I mean, the church started. Church started in our home. Our, our daughter is named after that street. It means something. We were displaced. Okay. I feel embarrassed to say that. Because compared to people who are really displaced, we weren't displaced. We were on vacation. So I wouldn't even share the fact that I do think that I learned something important from that experience that ties into what we're talking about this morning. The sacredness of space, the sacredness of home. God knows this. God knows to make space in God's self for us. 
God makes space for God's self in this world. I was also thinking about it in a more sobering way. When I was on the Ohio, Ohio feeder ramp coming in uh, to the city off the highway this week, sat there in traffic long enough to sort of keep looking at this one hotel, the Best Western, just kept looking at it because we're stopped right in front of it. And all of a sudden it rang a bell and I thought, wait a minute, I've been there before. Oh yeah, that's where I helped someone spend the night who someone else had given a ticket so that he could fly home to his war-torn country, easily get to the train to the airport from that hotel. The person that arranged all this had to leave town, left me with some of these responsibilities that involved getting this person to the hotel, helping him get to the airport, going to his war-torn country to see if it could possibly be home. If it could possibly be home for him again. That is displaced. That's not a vacation. Home is a big deal. And I was thinking, as I was going to juxtapose those two things next, you know, right next to each other, I was thinking, you know, those of us who experience a displacement that's akin to leaving home for a remodel must find a way to help those who are traumatically displaced. That's one takeaway for me as I was preparing remarks for today. The other takeaway is to sit with this metaphor of home, sit there a bit, and think about God's intensive love for us. That God will not rest until we are completely home with God and in God, and when God is completely home with us. That last bit about being completely home with God and in God That's spelled out without metaphor in the mysterious language of Jesus' prayer that comes near the end of the farewell discourse in John 17, where Jesus prays that our home will one day be with him in God's space. I ask God the Father, in so many words, I'm going to compress this, that the glory that you've given me, that I've given them, that they may be one, and that they may be in me as I am in you. That's a paraphrase, John 17, you can look at it. A couple more thoughts as we move towards finishing up this morning. So far we've pondered Jesus' farewell discourse with our focus being on the through line of God's presence and how that reality makes a lot of other realities possible in our world. But we should remember also that these words are meant first and foremost to be words of comfort for the disciples and through them to us. The disciples will no doubt be bewildered and troubled when Jesus leaves the first time through his death on the cross, the second time through the ascension. Jesus' confident and warm words are for them and they are also for us. Our loved ones have left us, or when they leave us, they will be with God. 
One day we will all be with each other and in God. We need to hear this. Finally, and the last thought is in anticipation of next week. I mentioned earlier that it is God's presence in the world that enables the disciples to do even greater works than Jesus did. That's what Jesus says here. This is what we celebrate on Ascension and then more so on Pentecost. What does that look like, though? Well, the word greater doesn't mean better, but greater in number due to the multiplying effect of the Spirit's presence in and with and among us. Here's a little picture of what I think it looks like. There are lots of other pictures, of course. This is the one that came to mind. Recently, our family, Jill Palmer and I, along with others, had the opportunity to attend the year-end dinner for an organization here in Chicago called Talier de Jose, the group where one of our elders serves as a volunteer leader. The whole ministry is based on being present, being present with people, accompanying them, theology of accompaniment, empowers and enables volunteers in times of need and distress to be near and present to those experiencing need and distress. Examples from the dinner. A volunteer helps an immigrant navigate the Department of Motor Vehicles to get a driver's license. I thought to myself, I'd pay for that, actually. <laughs> I have a friend that lost a driver's license recently. It was expired. Everything's fine at the DMV until everything's not fine at the DMV. When things are not fine at the DMV, I'd pay for someone to accompany me through that. <laughs> Here a volunteer does it for someone who needs it. Volunteer helps a single mother get her child support through helping her navigate the Byzantine maze of the legal system. People marginalized for lots of reasons, including sexual orientation, are helped to feel loved, to feel at home. None of this accompaniment, help and comfort, happens apart from the presence of God making God's home in this world and inviting us to make our home with God. The question for us is to what extent are we mindful and responsive to God's closeness to us? How to respond to that gift? How do we invite others to be at home with God and enjoy divine hospitality. Questions to pray about and to ponder. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. As we close this morning, uh, I invite you to stand and we'll respond.